the, the perceptions of, and how we filter life events lands in the soulish realm. And so you see here in the Sermon on the Mount, Christ is showing the difference between the soulish realm and the spirit realm. Because the spirit realm is where the Lord is leading you and me. He is, he is inciting a riot of the spirit upon the soul. He is saying the only way the Sermon on the Mount can be lived out is if you live in the spirit, empowered by my spirit. You cannot in your soulish disciplines and your soulish obediences continue to live out the Sermon on the Mount. So let me show you the, the juxtaposition here that he has between the soulish and the spiritual response to God. Um, verse 21 of chapter 5. At verse 20, he talks about the Pharisees and he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. They were controlling and manipulating the soulish response to God. The Pharisees were. And Christ is saying that will not work. You have heard, verse 21, that it has been said of them of old time, you shall not kill, and who shall, or shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you, whosoever is angry without his brother without a cause has a problem, is in danger. That's the difference between the soul. He is comparing. You've heard that it has been said of old, that's soul. But I say unto you, this is spirit. So the whole rest of chapter 5 is this juxtaposition between the two. Uh, verse 23, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave it, the gift at the altar and go your way and first be reconciled to your brother or maybe your child or maybe your husband or wife or maybe a parent. Then come and offer your gift. The ritual observation of offering a gift at the altar is soulish. And he's saying there is a deeper issue here. Get your relationships as right as you can get them. It, it doesn't mean that you'll have them perfect because that's not all in your control. But he is saying make your responses right as you can make them. What you have control of, the condition of your heart, make that right. And if the relationship doesn't return, is not reconciled, you've done what you can do. That's the difference between a soulish response to the Lord and a spirit response to the Lord. Verse 27, you have heard it uh, uh, has been said in old time not to commit adultery, but he talks about the condition of the heart and how we see and how we look in adulterous ways. That that is the spirit realm, not the soulish realm. You go on. Um, I say, you've heard in verse 33, it said, By them of old, you shall not forswear yourself, and you shall perform your oaths uh, before the Lord. I say unto you, don't swear at all. Neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool. Neither shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair whiter um, black. Let your communication be yes or no. Anything else comes of, of evil. And I don't fully understand that, but I do know that what he's speaking to is a walk of holiness. And it's not in behavior so much as it is in attitude. 
it's in the heart condition. And, and guard what you say. Because there's more power in it than you know. There's more destructive power in it than you know, and there's more creative power in it than you know. This is a part of the journey of purifying my heart. You know, I can be so upset that I've got all sorts of bad words floating around in my mind, but nobody knows about it because it doesn't see the light of day. What's the problem there? Well, it's good that you disciplined yourself enough not to, you know, get it out. But the problem is, why am I so angry that those words are bubbling and churning within me that no one else hears or sees? Where is that anger coming from? Is it righteous anger? Just expressed unrighteously? <laughs> within me? Or is it not righteous anger? Is it self-righteous anger? Is it humanistic anger? That's where, that's what he's getting at here. Is what, Brenda, is going on inside of you. You see, anger is me trying often. I mean, it can come out of grief. It can come out of legitimate righteous anger. But let's set that 1% <laughs> off the burner here of times when we're probably righteously angry. Um, anger is usually when I have gotten to the end of my ability to control the situation, and so I resort to anger. Rather than me giving what I cannot control over to God, who can move, who can control, who can move mountains, my anger is my attempt to move the mountain. Often, it is. It's my attempt to regain control, which I perceive I have lost. My attempt to regain power, I perceive, has drained out of me. Did you have a question? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it will be fear. It can be hurt, but it's almost always fear. Or, yeah, somebody has been unjust or inappropriate to me, and I have, whether I realize it or not, something in my system realizes that I have lost power, and man, I'm pouncing back. And I may not be thinking directly that this is a power play on my part, but it usually is of some sort, yeah. So it's either coming out of fear or just a sense that, uh, of injustice. And that's our normal, natural, human response. And for Christians even, it is our natural, soulish response. It is. And that's why this is such an impossible Sermon on the Mount to fulfill. Because he goes on here after that. Uh, he says, um, You have heard that it has been said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, resist not evil. For whosoever shall smite you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. 
what is he talking about here? This is counter-humanity. It is a countervailing wind against the human soul, which God created, sort of. Sin created the distinctions between soul and spirit. You see, we're, we're now separated. The two are not commingled. In the Garden of Eden, I think, soul and spirit were one. And sin happened, and we separated out. And you see in Genesis 3, the difference between soul and spirit, where they're starting to, you know, blame each other or someone else or whatever. So what we're looking at here is he says, resist not evil. This is an expression and a language of the spirit. What does he mean by not? Does that mean that we're not to confront evil? No, I don't think it means that. You see Jesus confronting evil. What do you think he means when he says, don't resist evil? Turn the other cheek, go the second mile. If you're asked, someone asks you your coat, give them your cloak also. If someone compels you to go a mile, go with them too. That, what is he talking about here, not resisting evil? Yes, I think clearly part of not resisting evil is not judging. I think there's several layers here, and I think that's clearly one of them, Tina. What happens when I do okay in my external expression to someone or my external presentation to someone, but I am really resisting them and what they are saying or how they're behaving. I am resisting this injustice inwardly. What happens in me when I do that? It's Pardon me? It's and when you look at Jesus, he addressed the sin of the sinner. He had such mercy on the sinner. Yes. He loved them and lovingly pointed out sin. Sin was the part that he despised, not the sinner. And you also see, you see their own evil. It, it does. It points back to us. If I resist sin, see, I can't resist sin with more sin. <laughs> and that's what we tend to do. And Romans 12, Paul is addressing this. And he says, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. If I'm resisting evil, I can't resist it with more evil because evil has won. doesn't matter who the combatant is on the, on the battlefield. The last one standing is still evil. If I understand that sin, evil is the issue, but I have to resist it not with my normal soulish responses. I have to resist it with good. I may need to confront it, but I will confront it differently. I have to resist it with forgiveness and with prayer because it's not the person we are to resist, it's the evil. And the only enemy of evil is what? Good. 
you know, the Crusades resisted what they thought was evil with more evil. Most of the holy war, all the holy wars in human history have been Christians resisting evil with evil. Whoever has the strongest evil wins. So he is turning us inside out here in the Sermon on the Mount. He is, you see, you know, I shared with you all last week how I went into this hardened place and didn't realize I was, I was hardened because I was so upset with some, someone that was doing some things that were very hurtful to my children. And it was righteous anger. And that's when I learned that righteous anger doesn't last very long. <laughs> Certainly doesn't last three years. <laughs> nor three months. Nor probably three weeks. Okay? Righteous anger has a very short life. It, it doesn't last long. Because then it morphs over into something else. And if I resist evil righteously in my mind, but I'm resisting it... <coughs> with a sense of injustice and with a sense of anger. Anger is righteous only for a short period, a sort of nanosecond. Then if I, if I resist evil inwardly like that, evil wins in me. Evil comes in and sets up its camp in me. Now, I don't see it as evil. I see it as righteous. I don't maybe want to call it such a harsh term as evil, but then I have to go back there. Anything other than yes or no is of evil. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe my understanding of evil is not, you know, a black-clad Hitler. But maybe it's just that which is not holy. And his call here is for us to walk in holiness. And humans cannot do that in the soul. Only can we do that as we move into his spirit in us and let his spirit break out. And so as we let a breaking happen here, the breaking hits here in our soul. And how does a breaking look? It looks like Job or Peter. Okay? And I'm going to cover some more of this next week. We're not going on here. Um, we're going to spend two times on, on this verse. The soul must experience a breaking, the broken and contrite heart, in order for the spirit to be released to burst forth from us in a fountain life. We are called to a fountain life because we cannot do this of our own disciplines and of our own traditional religious observances. We can't. We have to be transfigured. We have to let the form that God alone has placed within the human spirit become the figure that everyone else sees, the figure that controls my life. And that means learning how to not only live in the Spirit, but walk in the Spirit. Let the fruit of the Spirit.
began to manifest. Not my spirit, the fruit of God's Holy Spirit. So breaking happens either through suffering, which is Job, given to God. Suffering submitted and relinquished to God, not resisted. If I resist unjust suffering, which Peter talks about extensively in 1 Peter 1 and 2, if I resist it, say it's not fair, I'm going to get my rights, I'm going to, you know, that's why it's so hard in America to, to, do, to do this. We are conditioned by the Bill of Rights. We are conditioned by the constitutional, all men are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. They're divine. And so we, we live that way, we breathe that way, we believe that. And yet here comes Christ in his new Sermon on the Mount in the 21st century, turning the American psyche inside out and saying, no, you have to let go of your insistence upon your rights. And if you are suffering unjustly, relinquish that to the Lord. If I resist it, suffering will not bring a breaking. It will bring a hardening. Undeserved, unmerited pain by, from another's hand will only harden my resolve to win. But if I decide to bear about in my body the suffering of Christ. And to not give back in kind, but to absorb that suffering as substitutionary suffering. And then don't hold it in, but lift it to him as my sacrifice. And I'm gonna, my next study is gonna be on the great themes of the Bible and we'll look at substitutionary suffering and sacrifice. But if I decide I'm going to stand as Christ did at the cross, who did not give back in kind the nails that were destined for my hands, that cross was my cross, not his. And he took that cross. And if I stand there and identify with the suffering of Christ and bear about in my body his dying by saying, I will not give back in kind, I will substitutionarily suffer here, but then I offer that out of me to the Lord as my sacrifice to him for him to do with that person as he will. And I will pray for that person, for the Lord to do with him as he will. It does not matter whether he renders grace or judgment, does not matter. It's God's call. And I ask God to do in me what he will. Then suffering breaks this soulish realm here and frees and releases the spirit in me to move in a different way. The other kind of breaking that comes to the soul is Peter's breaking. His own sin. His own personal failures. And hear carefully what I'm saying. Because it sounds like heresy. <laughs> but it isn't. <laughs> so listen carefully to what I'm saying. There is a righteous work that sin in our lives has to do. There is a righteous work that sin in your life and mine given to God can do. 
When I have sinned and blown it, it clearly is evil. It is clearly evil in the terms in which I'm talking about today. It is clearly wrong. But if I let that be a statement of what I am, but for the grace of God, this is how I would be all the time. If I let it show me as a mirror, a broken mirror, my own re broken reflection. And instead of saying, Lord, I cannot believe I do that, I, I did that, I expected more of myself than that, you have, to whom much is given, much is required, then what I'm saying is, I'm higher on the ladder than I think I am. I mean, I, I'm lower on the ladder than I think I am. What I, where I think I am and where I really am are not the same. And when I can finally come to the sin issues in my own life and say, Lord, it is for this reason that you came. It is for this disappointing, disillusioning place in me that you came. And if I am disillusioned about myself, it means I have been living under illusion about myself. So my own sin, if I stop running from it and turn around and face the monster that is me, instead of saying, well, you know that wasn't me, Lord. I don't know where that came from, but it wasn't me. Well, it was me. <laughs> and when I finally stop running from the me that I can't believe is me <laughs> and say this is me and it is for this reason Jesus that you came then my sin yielded before the Lord confessed before the Lord in a broken heart before the Lord can do a righteous work in me because it breaks through the soulish illusions of my own righteousness. And I stand in chapter 40 and 42 with Job saying, oh, I'm vile. But it is in that journey. If we let sin do a righteous breaking in us, it awakens the spirit to fill out new places in you and me. And that's why judging is never in the picture because the Christian body of Christ is here to say, welcome, welcome to the new light. We love you. But if I judge myself by a different standard, it's hard for me to judge others with grace. The degree to which I judge myself is usually the degree to which I judge others. Because I don't recognize what it means to be human, to live here in the soul. What it means to be human is that I am broken. And suffering or sin will reveal that to me if I let it. And then, in the purification process that suffering and sin bring to me in not resisting it anymore, it purifies my heart. And it allows for me to see God through a new lens. 
we'll look next week at seeing God through a new lens and seeing each other through a new lens. Let's pray. Lord, the mind of man cannot comprehend nor the eye of man perceived the amazing, amazing things that you have in mind for those who love you. I thank you for a grace that abounds and is flooding upon all of us here in this room and all who believe, flooding freely upon us, not because it came free to you, but because Christ Jesus our Lord was willing to pay the high price of sin so that he could give grace to us for free. Lord, help us to leave this place treasuring the price that Christ paid for us and honoring a costly grace. I ask that you let us not cheapen that grace by forgetting what we are and who you are. Be with each person here today. Walk with them this week with new clarity and give them a new vision of their life in you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.